Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, but I've got the power panel still in place. We're going to continue Guide Talk for another 30 minutes. Then I'm going to have Carol McLeod on. She's written a book called Rooms of a Mother's Heart, A Sacred Call and an Eternal Purpose. That's all ahead in this hour. But for now, plenty of good questions are coming in. We have time for yours, 877-933-2484. All right, here's a question. Um, Let's see. A friend asked me to ask this question. When praying, are we reaching out to Jesus or the Holy Spirit? What's the difference? I think, yeah, that's the question you get is, do we pray to the Father or to the Son or to the Holy Spirit? And we've talked about this before. Normally in the New Testament, they pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. You can pray directly to Jesus. There are situations where that happens in the New Testament. I pray to the Holy Spirit, but, you know, I don't think you can find one example of somebody directly praying to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. I'm not familiar with one. Yeah, but the church through the centuries has prayed, come Holy Spirit, mm. and, and I do pray that. But what yeah. does Jesus say to Philip? Philip says, show us the Father, and that'll be enough. He said, hey, you know, I when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Mm-hmm. So I think, I understand the question. I think it's a misplaced question. There's no reason to ask it. Pray to the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it all gets through. One, one God, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, question for the pastors. Having been going to the same church for almost 40 years, our pastor refused to wear a mask even around our children during COVID. His behavior on this and several other issues is now driving members away. These things have been brought to the attention of our church council, but they do not want to force any issues. We are praying for them, and we're praying for him and healing in our church any other suggestions? Hmm. I wonder if anybody's really just sat down and talked with this pastor to try to find out what his thinking is, what his motivation. It could be a theological issue. It could be an emotional issue. I don't know what's going on. But I think, yeah, you see that, and it can be frustrating. But I'd like to know what he's thinking. I think, yeah, and you're right. Uh, uh, Matthew 18, the first step is somebody to go to the pastor and sit down and talk with him. If he won't listen, it says you take two or three others. If he doesn't listen to that, you take it to the whole church council. And I I think uh, that's kind of the way we normally should act. If he lives here in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, you can invite him to sit in on Guy Talk. We'll grill him. There you go. Hey, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) I like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, here's another question. I had a woman who was leading our post-abortive Bible study share that when the angel of the Lord is capitalized in the Old Testament, it is referring to the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Is this true? Nay, because you don't have capitalization in the Old Testament or the New Testament. It's all, you know, one. And so if there wouldn't have been all capital letters, I mean, I think the whole Hebrew is all capital letters. Everything's capital letters. And so so is is there, uh, did Jesus show up in the Old Testament. Well, if you believe that Jesus is God, of course he did. 
Um, and even what does Paul say in First Corinthians ten? Is it that the rock that followed the the Israelites was Christ? Yep. Yeah. But sometimes I think normally the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is not Jesus. It's the angel of the Lord. Right. But there are like you've got Moses talking to the to the fiery bush. And sometimes it says it's God in there, and sometimes it says it's the angel of the Lord in there. And could it be the pre-incarnate Christ in there? Some of the stuff I don't know that we know, but... The problem with the Bible that most people don't get, it's an unfolding revelation. You know, we don't get everything in Genesis. We don't get everything in the book of Leviticus. We don't get everything just, you know, in, in the prophets. It all unfolds into the person of Jesus and Jesus said to them, you know, on the road uh, to Emmaus, he opened the scriptures to them, showing them how all of this was written about him. Yep. So the Old Testament is written about Jesus. We just can't always see it by the way it unfolds. I was just commenting, though, in Jude chapter 5, Jude, the uh, very interesting in the New Testament, verse 5. I want Now, I want to remind you, although once you fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. <laughs> and the earliest manuscripts have Jesus. They have Jesus in there, mm-hmm. which is incredibly powerful, and yet most of us have never heard that before. Mm-hmm. Here's another question. How can I pray for God to let up and just give some much-needed peace? We struggle every month. We both work two jobs. We start putting money away and think maybe we can start feeling a little ease, and then some big bill will show up and just throw us right back into the hot pot. Feel like the Lord just wants us to struggle. Have had a very hard life and just can't get past the hardships. Feeling very abandoned. Still know that God is in control, but just don't understand why we can't catch a break. Maybe won't until we get to our heavenly home. God bless you. It's a tough one. It really is. Um, I think most of us expect that if we're followers of the Lord, that we're going to get a break. Things are going to work out better. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Most of the Christians I've met overseas that live under hard times never get a break. It just doesn't happen. But on the other hand, for this individual, this couple in America— This is where the Christian body ought to be stepping in in some way and helping, either through counseling, Mm -hmm. finances, resources, whatever it may be. I know we had a a couple at the church Tom and I served, and the husband was dying of cancer, and they weren't able to make their house payments. So we had a benefit. We just got together and said we're going to do it, and we raised $29,000 in one day. Then you took your administrative fee, which was twenty eight thousand. <laughs> no, you don't have to share everything uh, I, I'm here. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, not a dime. But what we did then is that we made the house payments. We set it up in the bank, and every month the house payment was made through the bank. And this happened until he died. Yeah. And you know, I as mm. this this uh, is a sad uh, question we just got. And my hope is that they've got somebody that they can talk through all this with and, and their sorrow and their I'm feeling neglected by God and where is God? Why does mm-hmm. But also that this, that, that they could talk that out, but it's not impossible that that person also will have some good wisdom. You know, maybe you shouldn't be spending this much money on this stuff. That's what's causing your, your anxiety, you know? So just again, the, the body of Christ, just make sure you're talking it out with some mature Christians so that you can get a, a relief that way, at least. Yeah, I think what you guys have referenced there about the body of Christ, uh, that passage about bear each other's burdens, right? 
Like it is so difficult to do in our individualized society where we're kind of taught to pull up our bootstraps and not lean on other people. And it's somehow weakness, right? That if we're failing by whatever metrics we think we should be succeeding by, and in this case, it's a financial metric, um, that's just all one big illusion. If we if we were actually bearing each other's burdens, there's going to be plenty somewhere within the community of faith that can go towards those in need. I mean, this was always the concern of the book of Philippians, where Paul was encouraging the Philippian church that didn't know how they're going to make it financially. And he was encouraging them to say, but we're going to gather up the finances and, and, and the resources that we have among the Mediterranean world of churches here and help you out. And, and that doesn't necessarily answer how to do this, but I wonder if the couple can't reach out to some friends and be able to say, hey, I don't even know what this whole burden thing and bearing it means because we don't do it very often, but could you help bear these burdens? I mean, that is such a vulnerable, difficult, hard question to ask, but until we start having models of bearing each other's burdens in a lot of different ways, I I don't know what the way out of some of these things are. So it's such a, it's a really difficult thing, but boy, oh boy, I'd love to see a community of people bearing each other's burdens in that way. We simply don't share well with one another when it comes to those things. I came under conviction the other day, uh, my wife and I are both getting up there in age and I got the lawnmower going, you know, and uh, my wife likes to mow the lawn, bless her heart. I should have had two like her, <laughs> she the front and the back both. But anyway, <laughs> she's mowing the lawn, but we have a hard time getting the mower started. Well, I finally got it started, new spark plug, the whole works. But I looked at an electric lawnmower for $600. I just put the battery in and it runs for two hours. And as I was actually contemplating that, the conviction that came over my heart is, mm. Isn't there some other way you could use $600 that would be a blessing to others? And I don't want to tell you what we did, but the bottom line is we didn't spend it on ourselves. And I think in Christianity, we don't have enough opportunities to think about that, and we need to be presenting those needs to one another. And but then, I want, oh, yeah, go ahead. And then Tom said, no, honey, get back out there and mow that lawn. <laughs> <laughs> and then black tar the driveway, right? Right, <laughs> right. All right, here's a question. I'm finishing the book, Not a Fan. That's a book by Kyle uh, Eidelman. The book is called Not a Fan, Becoming a Completely Committed Follower of Jesus. That's the name of the book, Kyle, Kyle Eidelman. Anyway, he's saying, I'm just finishing the book and seeing how short I fall as a Christian husband and friend. My wife also falls short, but continues to maintain her perfect Christianity and resents any implications to the contrary. I want all of God's blessings for my marriage. Frustrated husband. Ooh. Go ahead, Peter. <laughs> I, I, you're on the edge of your seat, Tom Brock. So it seems like this would be a great opportunity for you. That, I, mean, I this don't is have hard. a wife gonna, and children. I'm going to sign this to you, Peter. To oh, dear. Yeah. oh, dear. Yeah, I mean, this is hard, isn't it? In, in Very terms hard. of um, when, when somebody's not willing, and I'm not taking sides in this, in this conversation, right? I'm just saying, just generally speaking, when somebody seems unwilling to look at their own stuff, it, it makes it a very difficult conversation. It, it goes back a little bit to what you guys were describing earlier, that you come towards it uh, with this older pastor at the 40-year-old pastor that was not wearing the mask. You you come and you try to intercede. You bring people and you try to intercede. Um, but I, this is a marriage situation, so it's not like there's a walk-away moment then, too. And so how do you walk in that? I think he probably needs to have some other eyes on the situation in, in terms of helping to navigate this. But if, if they're in this spot, I don't see, and it, it's really tough for a married couple to find their way forward when there's resentment in the picture related to something like this. So you guys have done a lot more counseling than me in terms of this, but I would think you've got to bring some outside eyes into it. Outside eyes help, small groups help, where people can hold one another accountable. One thing, though, that helps the most is, and I would tell the husband, take the initiative, say to your wife, I'm under conviction from the Lord that we need to start praying five minutes together every day. 
and I'll pray for two and a half, you get two and a half. No agenda. He doesn't have to put an agenda out there and say, we're going to pray about you not looking at yourself or anything like that. But this is where the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes. And I know in all the premarital counseling and all the marital counseling I've done, every single couple that I could get to pray together solved their problems. Hmm. If I couldn't get them to pray together, I couldn't get them to solve their problems, hmm. no matter how much logic I used. So I would advise them, invite your wife to five minutes of prayer a day. I like it. Let me That's take good. a little break. We'll come back. One more segment of Guide Talk. The power panel is Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Peter Kapsner. We'll be right back. back. So glad to have the guys here, the power panel. We've got some questions. Here is another one that just came in. My oldest daughter is a freshman in college. She started, she's starting having lots of questions about evolution theory and how does it fit in our faith. I'm happy that she has questions, but I want to make sure so can do a good job. Can you give me your opinion on the best way to explain it? That's it. I tell you, somebody that's really good with this is Ken Ham, who has the the uh, creation. creation Museum yep. and the Ark. I have read a lot of his stuff. I've watched his videos. The guy is pretty phenomenal. And he here's the part that impresses me. He has attracted PhD people that come now and work through the Creation Museum and with the Ark, who have molecular biology degrees and everything else, but they're showing the balance between what science is discovering and what the Bible actually says. And it is so well done. I have uh, I quote him on a regular basis. And what's that website? Do you know, Tom? I don't offhand. Creation. Creation Museum. Ken Ham. Just, Just go- put in Ken Ham. Google Ken Ham's answers to your creation ah, questions. thank you. He's very good. Creationmuseum.org. There you go. Well, there you I just go. looked it up. All right, let's see. How do I respond to churches that make anti-racism their seeming main agenda? How do I find a church that is solidly Bible-based and preaching the gospel? Of course we are against racism, but I have a friend who left his liberal Lutheran church because all the pastor would talk about was white supremacy, and we have to overcome our white supremacy. And that's not why we go to church. We, You know, there should be a periodic sermon on racism, fine. But, you know, good luck in the New Testament finding a lot of information against racism. You don't find it. I mean, you just, they preach the cross and salvation, and that should be our meat and potatoes. Well, what's interesting is we, so many want to preach about this, but they don't give the source of the answer. Mm-hmm. The source of the answer is not in passing more laws or not in giving reparations or anything else, it isn't a changed heart. When's the last time you heard any of these groups talking about forgiving for what people have done or asking for forgiveness for the attitudes I've had? And if we don't do that, folks, we're never going to get to the answers. We'll always be at odds with one another. Are there any books or Bible studies you would suggest for youth group leaders and Sunday school teachers that would help them lead kids through these tough social issues? Are we thinking specifically of a social issue or just social issues in general? Uh, I think general 
tough social issues, and I don't know what that would be. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I suppose there's there's trusted people within each category. I don't know that I have any that I'd recommend, but, you know, within the field of sexuality, there's a few. Within the field of, of theology of environment, there's a few. Within reconciliation ministries, there's a few, but... Um, but it still is a, a fairly untapped field. So it, it's hard to have one suggestion that would cover all of that ground. There is something called, and this is not quite the answer to the question, but there's a book, there's a Bible called the Serendipity Bible. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it's got, it's for anybody that has to lead a small group. You just open up to James chapter 2, and on the side of each page are Bibles, are just good discussion questions for small groups which means you don't have to prepare much. Just bring your serendipity Bible, and wherever you're at, look at the, the column to the left, and you'll get good discussion questions. Well, I, know, I know what I'm doing next week for Guy Talk. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, another thing with Ken Ham, if you go to his website, uh, and we were to his museum, they have a lot of books on this topic because, I mean, he's kind of on the cutting edge of this stuff, so mm-hmm. he is drawing in the people. Like Peter, and, and you know, I would say, honestly, Peter, if he wrote something, he would be very open to it because he's always looking for ways. How do I bring the gospel message into a confused culture? Mm-hmm. And I, I love the guy. Hmm. Here's another question. I find myself struggling to believe that I have anything worthwhile to offer to anybody. I've struggled with this my whole life. It has been hammered into me in various ways. I know God has given me gifts and talents spiritually and otherwise, but my feeling of worthlessness keeps me from doing the things God has put before me. How do I get my eyes off of myself and onto Christ to overcome this? Mm. Well, that's where you got to listen to what the Word of God says. I mean, there are literally passages after passages that identify who we are in Christ. And we gave this out about a year ago, you know, and I'm more than willing to get it to this person again. But here's the bottom line. The Bible says that this individual was created in the image of God. This individual has a purpose, the New Testament says, and that purpose is paramount. And so what I learned a long time ago is the Lord doesn't make junk. He knows exactly what he's doing, and it is turning back and looking more in the face of Jesus than it is looking at my faults. Because if I just spend the time in the mirror, and I do a lot of repenting, but if I spend most of my time there, I'm going to get depressed. Mm-hmm. All right. So today is the National Day of Prayer. Yep. And there's a nice uh, live stream event tonight. You can learn more about that if you go to MyFaithRadio.com. might be nice to spend a little time here as we exit today uh, in prayer. What do you think? Sounds good. Great idea. You know, I don't like that idea, Bill. Let why me tell that, you why. why that, I'm, I'm just absolutely yeah. kidding. How can you disagree? <laughs> I thought you were going to sing the mango tree song for a second there, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, how can I, you disagree with that? I was kidding about liking hell, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We certainly have had some interesting requests come in today. So, and we've got, you know, we gave a nice prayer for the gentleman in North Carolina. So let's just keep this in mind when we go to prayer. There's people with, you know, obviously physical, spiritual, emotional needs, That's financial great. needs. And most of all, we have a desire, a deep desire or the people who are outside of the family of God to make a decision to become a Christ follower and to give their life to Christ. Good. Yeah. Let's pray for India, huh? You know, yeah. in India. The... India, yeah, they're in trouble too. Oh, my. So if we don't all mind, let's all pray. Let's do it. Be great. Father, we lift up the unbelievers all over the world, uh, especially right now we pray for the millions and millions of Hindus, Buddhists, and Muslims in India that are suffering from COVID and who knows, uh, you know, Lord, we just pray that you 
just how somehow bring millions and millions of people in India to saving faith in Christ before they die. Be with the Christian missionaries that are working within India, and may they have success and use this horrible uh, plague of COVID that has hit India to somehow bring people to saving faith in Christ. We pray for their healing and their comfort, but more than anything, Lord, we pray for the salvation of people in India, in China, in Japan, where so few people know your name, Lord. Just mm-hmm. just bring people to Christ. Well, there's obviously lots of people that are writing in, calling, thinking about this, that are hurting. You know the pain. You know the deep sorrow in people's lives. You know the loss that they have no idea how to recover. And yet, Jesus, you are the answer. I pray, Lord, that right now, every listener, every person that is tuned in will be touched by the power of the Holy Spirit, covered with the shed blood of Jesus, and be healed, given new direction, and given especially hope. Lord, give hope to all of us in this confusing world that we're not only hoping for your second coming, which we want to see happen, but we have hope for living right now because you're with us. So, Lord, touch hearts, bring healing, bring hope, bring joy. Yeah, I got for all the listeners writing in that are part of the community of the brokenhearted, I just, uh, you, you bind the brokenhearted, and, and mm-hmm. I ask that in ways known and unknown to us, that you would move by your spirit to to bring some binding to to the suffering and the brokenhearted today. Just a, a whiff of peace, a sense of hope, um, whatever is needed, uh, be their shepherd today, and, and just a real sense of that you are still with and for them in the midst of the pain and sorrow that is this world. Lord, you're so worthy of all of our praises. We acknowledge your greatness always. You're always preparing provision for your people, and we are so grateful for that. We offer thanksgiving always to you. We thank you that you've always been there. You're never going to leave us or forsake us, so you are truly worthy of all of our praise. And I thank you, Lord, for this, and I also ask that you would forgive me when I try to do things on my own when I try to do things by my own strength, when I do not yield to your leading, that I pray that you will forgive me of my sin. And when I get uh, wayward, when I start to think thoughts I shouldn't think, when I start to um, believe in anything other than the power of the gospel. Yes. So thank you that you forgive all of our sins Mm -hmm. and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. We thank you for this national day of prayer that we all are gathering our voices as one to petition the heavens for the healing of our land and the restoration of the church and for new people to come to faith in Christ. I mostly pray for any person that stumbled across this program today that have heard for the first time the gospel, that mm-hmm. they might in fact turn their hearts and minds to you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Come yep. quickly, Amen. 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 Thank you, gentlemen. That wraps up Guide That's Talk. Helpful. What a nice way to end. Have a blessed uh, day of prayer yourself. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, Carol McLeod's going to be my guest. She's written a book called Rooms of a Mother's Heart, A Sacred Call and an Eternal Purpose. We've got Mother's Day coming up on Sunday. We want to get nice and ready. Be right back. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? 
Mother's Day is Sunday, and I am going to love talking about mothers for the next 30 minutes. I can hardly wait. So I would imagine being a mother is a feeling like no other feeling. And because I know inside the soul of every mother lies a heart that just becomes this place of sweet memories and uh, hard hard learned lessons and victories and you've got a lot of ordinary days but then you also have days that are completely nuts and yet you've got God's grace over all of these years of mothering and as we celebrate Mother's Day on Sunday we want to talk about a, um, a book called Rooms of a Mother's Heart a Sacred Call and an Eternal Purpose my guest is Carol McLeod she is the founder of Carol McLeod Ministries and I'm so glad to have her on the show. Carol, welcome. Thanks, Bill. I'm so glad to be with you today. Yeah, no kidding. I love talking about moms. We've been kind of doing a little bit of it this week. And let's um, just get to your book for starters, because I want to learn as much as I can in the short amount of time we have. I want to know, for starters, what was your primary motivation to to write this particular book, Room, Rooms of a Mother's Heart? Well, you know, Bill, sometimes positive things encourage you to do something and sometimes you do them as a reaction to something negative. And so that's the backstory of the rooms of a mother's heart. You know, it's always the Word of God, right? When you're a believer in Christ, it's, it's the Bible that always compels you and leads you. And the Bible says that the older women, which I am, are supposed to teach the younger women how to love their husbands, love their children, and be keepers of the home. And that doesn't mean to dust. Bill. It means to protect their home, to guard their home. And then the other inspiration was just the culture that we live in, right? Motherhood is denigrated. It's not applauded. If people say you're just a mom, well, there's nothing just about being a mom. And so I wanted to be the voice of a mom to encourage the lives of the next generation of moms. You know, I've thought about it, Bill, and and one way I say it is you don't always need a peer. Sometimes you need somebody with some battle scars, and that would be me. Wow, lovely. Let's take a small journey here, Carol, if we can, over the history of your time as a mother. Let's go back when you were a first-time mom. Is there a piece of advice that you wish you'd known when you were a first-time mom? Yeah, so two things, Bill. First of all, how fast it goes. Okay. You think it's never going to end, right? Mm-hmm. But I've heard motherhood described as the time when um, the days never end, but the years fly by. And that is just the truth. It goes so fast. So bring the joy out of every minute. And then the other thing, I wish somebody would have given given me the freedom to hold my babies, right? You know, we live in this culture that says, oh, if you hold them or rock them, you'll spoil them. And Bill, from my perspective, being a mom five times over, holding your babies, loving your babies, singing to them, rocking them, declaring the word of God over them, what that does is it develops secure individuals. So moms, hold your babies. (laughs) Right, I love that. (laughs) Carol, talk to us about family traditions. I think it's getting harder and harder to develop family traditions because families are going in a hundred different directions, but maybe you would talk about why they're so important and why we should be passing these traditions down to the kids. Yeah, so, so Bill, to me, this is the way I define a family tradition. A family tradition is a family holiday 
without a name. It, <laughs> belongs, like it belongs to your family. And, Bill, the best thing of all is it doesn't need to cost any money. Um, you don't need to go to Disney World to develop family traditions. And the traditions you establish today are the memories that your children will take into adulthood with them. Um, now, for a mom, traditions do require forethought and some intentionality, but make no mistake about it, traditions will leave footprints on your children's heart. So, you know, it could be reading together every night. It could be singing around the piano on Sunday afternoons. It could be that dad makes pancakes for breakfast on Saturdays. It, it could be that you hold hands while you pray. Those are sweet family traditions that your children will fall in love with. These traditions say we're a family. We belong together. Carol, how how good were you and your husband at generating questions or good conversation uh, with your kids during dinner time? Yeah, so Bill, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. So we might oh, good. linger here for a minute. No, yeah, we can for linger. sure. Okay, good. So when my kids' friends came to my house for dinner, they would always say, we're going to the Grand Inquisition. They're <laughs> 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 so sitting around the McLeod family table. We're going to talk. And if you don't talk, you don't get dessert. That's the way I lured my children into talking to me. And so, you know, it can start with something as, as benign as, hey, so tell me the best thing that happened to you today. Hey, tell me the most difficult thing that happened to you today. I, I would always try to have my questions be targeting their interests. If you could build any Lego creation, what would it be? If you could be any American Girl doll, who would you be? Um, music questions, uh, sports questions for boys. One of the questions we'd always ask is, hey, if you could go to the Final Four, the Super Bowl, or the World Series, which one would you choose and why? Mm. So you, you, you have these questions around what they're interested in, and they can't help but talk to you, Bill. Um, you can play the favorite game. What's your favorite book? What's your favorite song? What's your favorite food? Who's your favorite teacher? Who's your favorite friend? What's your favorite movie? The list goes on and on and on. So the dinner table is the perfect place to get your kids to talk to you. And you as the parent, you as the mom or the dad, you are the conversation chairman. You're the CC, we called it, the conversation chairman. So come armed with questions to get your kids to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Carol, what if one of the kids is a little bit more uh, difficult than the others, and maybe that child is um, drawing more of the oxygen out of the family? How? Uh, what advice do you have for a mom who might be dealing with that teen who might be troubled? Yeah, so, Bill, man, the teenage years are challenging years. And, of course, I've, you know, been through it five times. Um, and so that that's a great thing. I would love to talk to moms of teens or young adults today because it really is hard. Um, I think it just goes without saying that love to a child is spelled T-I-M-E. And they might act like they don't want to be with you. But, Mom, be persistent. Um, listen to their music. Have their friends over for pizza and ice cream sundaes. Um, 
play games as a family, be persistent, be intentional. Bill, one thing that helped me so much with my teenage boys, particularly, we have three sons and then two daughters, is like I'm a toucher. I love to touch and hug my kids, even kiss their faces when they're 16 years old. Well, our oldest son, Matt, he didn't like that. And I could tell I was driving him away from me. So I read the book, The Five Love Languages by um, Gary Smalley, and I figured out what Matt's love language was. It was gifts. So if I left him a dollar on the counter and said, hey, Matt, get a Gatorade after football practice, I, I was like the world's greatest mom because I was speaking his love language. Now, for Christopher, our second son, I don't, I don't need to buy him another gift as long as we're alive. As a 17-year-old, when I'd say to him, hey, Chris, you're doing great. Really, Mom? You think I'm doing great? Chris, you're doing great. I see how you're treating your siblings. Thank you for – Mom, you think I'm doing great? Because his love language was words of affirmation. So so try to discover how your teenagers receive love – and then respond appropriately. And if I could just say one more thing, especially when you're dealing with um, a more difficult teenager. So this was a rule, Bill, that we had in our house. You know, teenagers don't want to be lectured. They, they don't want to hear what you have to say for the next three hours. No. So what, in our house, we had mom minutes. And when one of our children needed correction or coaching, I'd say, okay, it's a mom minute. We would turn the timer on, and for one minute, I could say whatever I wanted to say. Listen, I'm really concerned about your grade in biology, and I'm also concerned that you don't respect the teacher. So we've got two issues going on here. How are we going to solve them? For one minute, Bill, I could say what I wanted to say, and then it was over. And the kids responded to that because they didn't feel cornered by their mom. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when I hear the word nurture um, mm. and nurturing your children, I, I always wonder what specifically does that mean? Would you address that question? I mean, what does it mean to nurture yeah. your children? Yeah. So, Bill, when I say nurture, I, I don't mean spoil, okay? Um, people who hear me might think, oh, man, I bet you spoiled their kids. No, actually, I didn't. I was a pretty strict mom, but I was also a loving mom. And, and this is how I feel about nurturing, Bill, is that, Mom, listen to me. You are the one chosen by God, the creator of the universe, to comfort your babies, to snuggle your toddlers, and to tenderly care for the little person who is, let's admit it, basically incapable of, incapable of doing anything at all for himself or herself. You're, you're the one that God chose. Mm-hmm. Babies, toddlers come with one dominant need to be loved. And safety is found in your arms. You know, one of my Bible verses that I just love to apply to parenting is Isaiah forty eleven, And it says, he gently tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. That's a picture of nurturing, is it not? It's beautiful. And, and that's how God treats us. And I want to take on the character and nature of God as I mother the little ones he brought, in, brought into my life. 
So I think that nurturing, holding, rocking, singing, spending time with your little people lays a foundation for security, for training, for relationship, and on down the road for discipline. A lot of wisdom there, Carol. Let me take a short break. Carol McLeod is my guest. Her book is called Rooms of a Mother's Heart, A Sacred Call and an Eternal Purpose. We'll be right back. with Carol McLeod. She's written a book called Rooms of a Mother's Heart, A Sacred Call, and An Eternal Purpose. She was nice enough to let us have three copies of this book to give away to a lucky uh, listener. If you want to get in on that drawing, you can send the word book. That's all you write. Type is book. And you send that to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Text the word book, and you will absolutely have it by Mother's Day 2022. All right, Carol. Um, in, your, in your book, you wrote a whole chapter about raising daughters and a, and a whole chapter about raising sons. So talk about the difference in raising boys and girls. Yeah, so I was brave, wasn't I, Bill? I think so, yeah. Such, yeah, that is such a hot question today. And I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to tackle it because I want to bring some reason to the issue. I I want to bring some wisdom to the issue. Um, And this is what I want to say. Boys and girls are different. They are gloriously different and ordained so by God. Um, It's not that one is more important than the other. No, they are each unique and wonderfully created for divine purposes. Um, what I have realized, Bill, as I look in the rearview mirror of motherhood, because that's where I am today, is that, you know what? I wanted to teach my sons and my daughters the same virtues, to tell the truth, to be kind, to be servant leaders, to be moral human beings, um, to be thrifty, uh, different things like that. But my approach for me, Bill, was different with daughters than it was with sons. My boys responded to adventure stories, to good versus evil, to role play, to wrestling with dad on the family room floor, watching the lives of athletes. Um, My boys loved the stories of heroes who were in danger before they overcame. My girls, they loved a gentler approach to life. Now, these were just my kids, okay? My girls were athletes. But they loved the stories of Anne of Green Gables and Laura Ingalls Wilder and, and, and Little Women, stories that were more learned in one's heart than they were by the rough and tumble of life. You know, I wanted both my boys and girls to grow up to serve the Lord. I wanted both my sons and my daughters to use their gifts and talents and abilities for the unshakable kingdom of Christ. But what I found was that my means to teach those truths were different with sons than they were with daughters. 
Carol McLeod's book is Rooms of a Mother's Heart. I've got uh, several copies. I can uh, get into your possession. All you have to do is text the word book to 877-933-2484. Carol, maybe you could give some wisdom, advice on how mothers can effectively discipline their children. What, What? Maybe you should just speak from experience. What worked best for you? So, you know, we might need three shows to talk okay. about this, <laughs> about discipline. Um, you know, so to me, it's a three-step process. First, you nurture your children. You love them. You tenderly care for them. You sing to them. You rock them and hold them. And then the next step is you train them. This, this is what training is, Bill. It's teaching children how to behave in an acceptable way in different types of situations in life. Okay, you know what, buddy? Today you're going to the dentist, and that means you're growing up. That (laughs) means you're getting big. (laughs) And when you go to the dentist, do you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to keep your mouth open for a really long time. So let's do it right now. Let's you and I have a mouth-opening contest and see who can keep their mouth open the longest. That, that's what training is. Today we're going to the library, and in the library you don't get to run, and you've got to use your indoor voice. You train your children. You just don't expect them to know it, but you train them how to behave in different types of situations. And then when they don't behave in the way in which you've trained them to behave, that's when discipline comes into importance. So when a child willfully disobeys an authority figure, that's that's what discipline is. Um, and this is what I figured out, Bill, is that it's not one size fits all, right? I, I could look at some of my kids just with an eye, and I would break their heart. They'd automatically obey. With, with others, <laughs> it was much harder. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not one size fits all. Um, you can take away a book. You can give them chores. Um, you can say no friends this week. But discipline should never be birthed in anger, nor should it incite anger in the life of a child. Um, apply scriptures to discipline. The, the, the Bible doesn't stop working just because you have a child that needs discipline. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. Well, that means you shouldn't be yelling at your kids. The Bible says be kind to one another. Well, that means even though you need to discipline, it should be done framed by human kindness. You know, what I would do with my little people is get down on their level and say, look at my face. Look at mommy's face. Mommy always wins. (laughs) Psychology or not, Bill. I know what people want to know is, does she believe in spanking or not? That, that's what people want to know. And let me say this. You need to get my book, read the whole chapter about discipline, and decide for yourself All right. about spanking issue. Yeah. <laughs> We've got three books to give away, so three of you will uh, get a complimentary copy of Carol's book. All you do is text the word book to 877-933-2484. I love some of the scripture you've given us. Carol, it's been very encouraging, I'm sure, for mothers. Um, maybe a word of, an, of inspiration for the moms that are listening right now. Yeah, you know, Bill, the scripture that has been on my heart this week with Mother's Day and thinking about all the thousands of moms out there who are serving their families 
is Romans fourteen seventeen, and it says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So I, I just want to encourage the moms out there that if you want to build the kingdom of God in your home, in the four walls in which you're raising your family, it's not so much about what it looks like. It's not so much about the food that you serve, the kind of clothes that your kids wear. But what it is about is righteousness, peace, and joy. Those are the three things that you need to make sure decorate every room of your home. Righteousness, which is just obeying the word of God. Peace. And joy. Let me tell you, if you can develop, if you can create a home of joy, you will give your children lifelong stability and lifelong memories. All right, Carol, we've got about three minutes left, so I'm going to give you a multiple choice question. You can pick which question you want to address, okay? Okay. All right. I would either like you to talk about becoming a grandparent, because I know you're a grandparent, and how that has changed you. Or I would love for you to give me a personal story of your own mother. Oh, Bill, that's a hard one. Okay, I'm going to tell you about my own mom, and I might cry because I love her so much. That's what I was hoping you would do, is give me that answer. (laughs) Just so you know, Carol, that's what I was hoping. Hey, when we get each other, we understand. Yeah. Okay, so... My mom was not a perfect mom, but she was the most wonderful mom in the universe. And the day before I started my freshman year in high school, she sat me down and she said, I want to talk to you. And I thought, oh, no, it's the talk. But she (laughs) said, Carol, listen. She said, Carol, you're not going to be the prettiest girl in the freshman class. You're not going to be the smartest. You won't be the most musical. You won't be the most athletic. And you won't be the most popular. And I thought, well, gee, mom, thanks a lot. Thanks for believing in me. And she said, but Carol, what you can do is you can be the kindest. You can be the kindest girl in the freshman class. And Bill, do you know what? From that day forward, that has been my goal in life, Mm. to be the kindest woman in my generation. And do you know that I've had that talk with all five of my children the day before they started high school? And I'm about to have it with a grandchild who's going to start high school next year. You can be the kindest. That's beautiful. So mom kind of helped refocus a little identity in young Carol, young daughter Carol, headed off to high school, that you can do something that you can 100% achieve. That's right. It was achievable. And, and it was because I had the Lord and I had parents who loved me unconditionally. So, but let me say this, Bill. I know we need to go, but even if you didn't come from a wonderful home, you can create a wonderful home today. Don't let your past determine the type of mother you are. That's giving your past way too much power. Be the mom that you always wanted to have. So what do you anticipate your children doing for you this Mother's Day? Well, I know that my son and my son-in-law are fixing dinner for me on Sunday. Nice. And I'm, and I'm hoping I'm getting some flowers from far away. But honestly, Bill, I am the kind of mom, I am happy with a FaceTime call. Nice. I just want to see their faces and hear their voices. Mm-hmm. And when you see their face on the phone, do you say mom always wins? Sometimes. If I need to, I will. (laughs) That makes me smile. 
All right, Carol, thank you so much, and happy Mother's Day, and thank you for talking about mothers. That's the most important uh, person in the whole world. It sure is. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. Yeah. Bless you. Thank you for all you do. You bet. Carol McLeod's been my guest. Her book is called Rooms of a Mother's Heart, a Sacred Call and an Eternal Purpose. We've got some copies of that book to give away, uh, and we've got some... Um, We've got several copies, so all I have to do is text the word book to 877-933-2484, That's our show for the day. I want to thank all the guys. The Power Panel, who did such a fine job today, I thought they were better than average today, and Carol McLeod for being uh, such a lovely guest, talking about Rooms of a Mother's Heart. I am looking forward already to tomorrow when I get to spend more time with you and we're going to talk about the Lord and we're going to encourage each other and build each other up and go and make a difference in this world. Be salt and light in God's wonderful world where there's so many lost, hurting people. We go make a difference. Have a good night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.